Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Sonia Leeson and you're listening to the Love Mondays podcast, The Power of Resilience, stories of struggle and success from inspiring entrepreneurs. In this series, I will be interviewing business leaders, entrepreneurs and business owners to learn more about their incredible true life stories and how they overcame adversity to build a killer business that makes a real difference in the world. Stay tuned to learn more about their game-changing strategies which took them from struggle to success. On today's podcast, I interview Mike Killen, Managing Director of Sell Your Service, a business that provides sales coaching and funnel building to entrepreneurs. Mike is mixed race and we discuss his experiences of growing up in London, where he was accepted as normal in a multicultural city. He then moved to Devon, where he experienced racism and prejudice purely because of the colour of his skin. Mike got angry and he was fighting people before they fought him. But through therapy and counselling, he learned that he had a choice and that he could change how he was reacting. He now helps his clients with confidence and we discuss how this is a huge block and barrier to his client's success. Just a quick warning though that this podcast does contain some swearing, so please come back later if you feel that this is not appropriate for young ears. Mike says that struggle is all part of the process and you can learn more about his story now. Hi Mike, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me Sonia, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so we're in really interesting times and we had a little bit of a conversation the other day about some of your experiences, so it's really great to have you on. Do you want to tell Mm. us a little bit more about who you are, what you do? Yeah, so my name is Mike Killen. I'm the founder of a company called Sell Your Service. We work with marketing agencies, predominantly giving them the confidence to scale out and start looking at multiple streams of income. Predominantly, we help them sell more marketing funnel projects and marketing services, increase their prices, define a niche. So a lot of sales training. Uh, I'm the author of From Single to Scale, Five Figure Funnels, Universe Fuel, uh, a couple of other books. um, And really my core goal and the, a lot of the stuff that I talk about and train is to do with confidence and building self-reliance in people, even in things like marketing, which a lot of people consider very confidence-led, but it's actually, they tend to be built by very unconfident people. And yeah, I think we know each other from KPI. Yeah, Dent, and we, well, after we chatted, because we do certain yeah. bits of what you do. Um, yeah. So it's really interesting. It's interesting that you just said that you think that uh, confidence, people are lacking confidence in marketing. What's your experience yeah. of that? I just thought it was an interesting thing to have picked up on, really. All right, so I ran, uh, basically... Okay, this might come up in the in the in the podcast. I lost a job in corporate marketing 2012 and started my own agency, and it was fine and kind of muddled along. And then I did two or three key things, and it really exploded. And around 2016, I sold that agency and wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And a friend of mine called Troy Dean from WP Elevation, he said, "Well, he, I'm giving a talk out in Miami, so why don't you come out?" Uh, we'll fly you out there. Uh, come stay with us for a few days, and, and we're we're doing a workshop. Um, why don't you come and talk to some of the guys? And the number one question that they asked me was, "How do you sell a website for twenty five grand?" And I was like, "That's easy." And I kind of wrote it out on the board and went through the process, and it became very apparent very quickly that it was actually the confidence to turn around to a customer and say, "Yep, that's twenty five k," and then just shut up. So, th- marketers are really good at creatively pursuing and finding ways 
for people to know, like, and trust you. Like that, I think that's, is that the John Jansch model? And my background is actually sales. So I didn't build the best websites. We had, they were fine. You know, we certainly didn't build the best marketing funnels, but they were fine, but we had no problem selling them. And I think a big part of it was confidence, confidence in themselves, confidence in our, their own ability, you know, and that's what we, what we train now and giving people kind of concrete ideas of, well, actually you can be confident, but also confidence is a very, it's almost like faith. You, you kind of have to believe it's there before it's there. You have to leap and then make it till you make it. <laughs> 100%. Absolutely. You know, the, the net will appear as soon as you jump. So yeah, there's a lot of marketing agencies, a lot of freelancers. I know what it's like to struggle and, and barely sell a website for a couple of grand. So I was like a big part of it's, it's, it's down to confidence. And I personally believe that the more confident people are in general, I think there should be confidence training in schools. The, the, the better state the world can be in because you're not scared about something being taken away from you if you're confident about the future really I guess it's crazy up. isn't it because you see the confident people that are getting paid ridiculous amounts of money and then and then you're like actually there's not actually much behind that apart from no, the big chat <laughs> um so i think having a mix of confidence and being good at what you do is this the key area that you want to get to you don't want to have all the confidence and be terrible at what you do no and and but it's 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 a funny case of like who's the world's second best photographer i don't fucking know no who, who knows? knows right so i presume that people can do a really good job and we have an exercise where i'm like if you rank yourself out of seven on a scale of one to seven of how good you are most people put themselves about three or four right if you say that that is you are a three out of seven even if you say you're a three out of seven you can still provide massive value to people who are zeros ones twos and even some threes right and that's the widest part of the market so you don't even need to be the best and the more we've built funnels the more i found that the really basic stuff is actually what people need Mm. but there's so many people who are really confident out there i'm like you do great work i know you're a better marketer than me i know you build better sites than me i know you build better funnels than me so you have every right to charge as much as these guys do so it's, it's trying to bring, bring a bit of balance maybe so it's yeah, so interesting i've got a um a, a, a facebook group where we help people build funnels and i put a mm. lead magnet funnel map in there yep. and um i was like there you go go for it just fill in what you want on the funnel map and it was all mapped out for them they just had to put in their own landing page their own email and yeah. um they all went I, I don't know what an opt-in is and i was like oh yeah. my god like i just didn't even i just thought it was just so logical that people know so i really had to track it back and and really really get back to basics and i think it just goes to show that technology is moving so quickly that businesses are just struggling to catch up if they've never ever done any of this online stuff i think yeah. it's I do it all the time yeah, uh, yeah. but they're like what's an opt-in I'm like oh man okay I can really track this back so what you say is absolutely true and I think business owners one of the biggest things that I see is their confidence that holds them back mm. definitely with me definitely with many business owners um, and when we spoke on the phone the other day you've had your own obviously with the whole Black Lives Matter thing coming up we had a conversation about your experiences and how confidence isn't really something that is taken away from you all in one go it's kind of chipped away over the years that is perfect yeah Yeah. so what can you just tell us a little bit about your background and how you kind of got here sure so all right so i'm mixed race i'm not i'm not mixed race uh black or 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 african um although my mother is white african she was born in kenya and considers herself tanzanian 
because uh, that's where she was. Sorry, she was born in Tanzania and considers herself Kenyan because that's where she grew up, moved over. My biological father is uh, Maori, and even he's mixed race. Um, and for those who don't know, that the Maori are the indigenous population of New Zealand. They're kind of only known for two things, really, the hacker for the All Blacks and the film um, Once Were Warriors, which doesn't paint Maori culture in a great light, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> But it is very accurate to the time of the 1980s. And like a lot of indigenous populations, they were kind of put into slums and pushed into areas. Uh, we're from an area called um, uh, Glen Innes, which is like now it's come on a long way. But at the time, it's, it, was, it was rough, really, really rough. <laughs> I think the couple of things that we talked about was I grew up in London and then we moved down to Devon for what is it like um, – college sixth form GCSEs time around that around that period and I had never heard the term and in London I was just no one I was normal a lot more multicultural in London yeah Yeah, it's (laughs) normal's a a slip of the tongue there it's it's my stepfather who is white he was a bank manager and he dealt with people from all over the world right and I remember my mum well, she tells it now. She said, is there anything you've noticed about Mike or Samuel, my brother? He went, no, not at all. And that's when she was like, oh, okay, this is, this is good news. When we moved down to Devon, <laughs> I'd never heard the term nigger or packy or coconut or raghead or any of this stuff before. And as that was explained to me, I was always like, but that's really dumb because I'm not black. I'm definitely not from Pakistan. Um, coconut is typically an islander term and I was like I'm none of those things and, and you were getting really... called them oh w- within within minutes of arriving at school yeah. <laughs> yeah and at the time it was because you know when you're a kid all you want to do is fit in right that's all you want to do you yeah. definitely don't want to stand out well there's elements people do want to stand out but as a rule people want to fit in and it was shocking to me that someone could pick up on something so arbitrary like it's so dumb and and absolutely would get picked on and beaten up and and now i look back on it and i realize those kids were actually just really really scared themselves Mm. it's very difficult for me to take that kind of attitude and say those kids were racist or even xenophobic would i guess would be the strictly the correct term because chances are they would have found something with anything. If you were yeah. ginger, you might as well have been, you know, black. It was, it was, it was as bad. In fact, we know a couple of kids who, who were as bad as that. If you were particularly pale. So I think from, a, from an immediate standpoint, that was, for me, I immediately was like, this means I'm different. But what's funny is as soon as you leave college or whatever, when you're 18 and you realize that secondary school means basically nothing. Yeah. <laughs> all of those interactions you build up, they, they kind of fall away and, and you then go off to university, it instantly flipped back again. And I was like, well, this is gone. And I remember my mum saying over and over and over, she said, I promise you, it's not you. It's a hundred percent them. And it's very difficult to accept that when you're young and going through that to start with and, and coming back to the confidence thing i mean it must have been not so subtle what you were going through but that chipping away that happens how do you think it did affect you did it did it have well i think you can go one or two ways can't you you can either go inwards because yeah. you are being chipped away at, or you can come outwards and think actually no i'm not gonna but how do you think it how do you think it affected you yeah it's it's a good question because so i'm a i'm a firm believer that we choose the meaning or we, we choose the meaning we, that happens to the past. 
the same events that happen to us to one person to another person we define or decide the meaning that we attribute to that looking back at the time i was like clearly i'm different clearly there's no point in fitting in the only possible thing for me to left to do is to fight and scrap and being kicked out of class and being kicked out of school and it got to the point where i assumed that everything that people were doing was some kind of attack on me and certainly in my my later teen years i would almost go out looking for fights and and spoiling for a fight which is interesting because that's probably the same mindset that someone who is you know xenophobic or racist or whatever has that they actually they want to provoke right so i would look for reasons that people were offending me to go out there and and but sometimes it's hurt them before they hurt you isn't it when when you sure you've kind of been treated that way and you're like i'm going to get in here first because it hurts us and and that certainly was the attitude i took at the time that was certainly the, the that was certainly i should say the choice that i made at the time well, I think when um, you're young, you don't have, well, you don't have the resources, the emotional resources, um, or the understanding that you have when you're older. So I think as a child, true. you're more reactive, aren't you? You, you are. That's very true. Um, but I, I do still believe that I had a choice. If I had, if I was 18 and I, I, I never drank, for example, never, never had a sip of alcohol until I was well into my twenties. So clearly I was intelligent enough to make that choice. I would argue if I was having a conversation with my 18-year-old self now, that 18-year-old was saying, no, nah, I'm looking for reasons to be pissed off. I'm looking for reasons. <laughs> I'm, looking for, I'm actively looking for reasons to get my knuckles bloody and to get into fights because of some level of, of desperation or need to control something. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we are reactive, you're right, and you do have to learn it. And it is absolutely an educational process on the reactive side. Mm. Uh, but um, I, I, I'm hesitant to give myself an excuse uh, because, uh, you know, this, this is, and this is what I mean by you can apply whatever meaning you want to your events. We know people who have gone through the exact same thing as children, as teenagers who have gone down very different pathways. And that is due to choice. It's not fluke. It's not genetics. It's not luck. They've decided I want to go down a different path. And it was actually a long while before I decided to start looking at it in a different way. And, and this would be interesting. I'd, I'd be interested to know, because I've, I've been listening to a couple of other podcasts and people have kind of brought this up and haven't, the concept of therapy and counseling. Yeah. I had a lot of that going through and a lot of it was, I thought was anger management because something else that sparked it off is I moved away, went to London, had a corporate job, came back. This was before I was, I was uh, fired from my last job and I, set up a, a business and i uh i'd been at a telco company i don't know a month maybe and they did a secret santa and someone gave me an aladdin doll as my secret santa yeah. and, and i was like that's a bit weird i've never expressed an interest for disney <laughs> i've never expressed an interest for aladdin i sure as hell don't care about the cartoon or whatever and I remember showing it to a couple of guys and people thought it was very funny. And I was like, can you tell me why it's funny? And no one could answer it. And I don't like get it. Yeah, I don't get it. Why is it funny? Right? And it's a bit like when you're, um, when you tell, or someone, usually an uncle, tells a really bad joke at a, a, like a Christmas party or something. And, and there's like, like the tumbleweed moment. There's like yeah, going across yeah. the floor. And you're like, could you just explain to me why that's funny? And they go, 
or and it's because deep down they know that well if they say it out loud it exposes a big level of ignorance and, and presumably and years later i've been told it's because ultimately a couple of the guys thought that i looked like aladdin and just I was like, purely okay. through the color of your purely skin. through the color of my skin i wasn't from the middle east I'm definitely not from the middle east um and I was like, okay, well, let's flip this. And this is, this is where I went down. I could have gone down a real spiral of almost like rioting and certainly a level of righteous indignation mm. because I said, okay, well, we know that our manager is a raging alcoholic and we know that that guy over there is gay. So if I got them a doll based around that defining characteristic, which we know about, people would deem it immediately offensive. Is yeah, that right? Yeah. And people would be like, well, of, of course. I go, why is this okay then? So why is this not a big deal? And I remember being told by the team, they were like, we think you're making a bigger deal of this than it needs to be. Don't minimize this. Don't minimize. And I was like, you guys are fucked. This is unbelievable. It's actually not. And so, like I said, this was a, this was a kind of a defining point because I actually decided at that point, what's their goal? And this is what was taught me, taught to me in counseling. This was, this was like a, a really defining moment in dealing with any kind of um, attack, right? Whether it was through ignorance, whether it was through actual vitriol, whatever. If anyone was to, to say anything offensive to me or, or whatever, the question I immediately now ask is, what's their goal? Yeah. What do they want to get out of this? It's not about me. Bizarrely, the Never. present, the toy, it's not about me. No. It's exclusively about them, right? And maybe that's something that's come up before. So what do you think they were trying to get out of it? Do you feel as though they were trying to put you down, chip away at your confidence, make themselves, I mean, <laughs> is it the power play thing that they wanted to seem, you know, above you in some way? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. And it almost doesn't matter because it's nothing I can control. No. So yeah, going back to the confidence thing, why this was big and defining is, is throughout school, I was like, I was basically, I, I became a, a more of a brawler. Uh, than, than than a student and I was like that's how I'm going to make up for the fact that people keep chipping away what I presumed at my character and the same with this and the lesson that I learned is that they can only take away confidence or trust in yourself or belief in yourself if you allow them to mm. whether they're doing it accidentally whether they're doing it on purpose it's nothing that I can control. I can't control their actions. I can't control what they think. I can't control what they do, but I can wholly con control what I do and what I think. Um, needless to say, it wasn't a particularly long working relationship there. Yeah. Um, gosh, I, I left pretty quickly, but it was funny to me that I had come back to Devon <laughs> and it was, I was like, you are fucking joking. This is, this is like school again. And I don't want to have a go. We live in Devon now and I absolutely love it. My wife was born and raised here and, and I can't think of a better place place for me to, to live now but I was like it's crazy to me that this is happening and I can't remember when it was early 20s or something early 2010s or something like that I was like it, it's it's funny to me that this absolutely shouldn't be happening but perhaps because of the rural nature of where we were and perhaps they hadn't been exposed to that many different cultures realistically it was kind of still considered a little bit like this is something that's unusual and we can bring yeah. up yeah like so, anywhere else you're like who gives a fuck well that's the thing you know in more multicultural cities it, it's just an everyday occurrence but i guess somewhere like devon probably not and do you think it's on level of education and i don't mean yeah thick or clever is it the amount of exposure that they've had um how if they've educated themselves around different things that are outside of their lives 
yeah it was and what was interesting so for, for like one of my first jobs was just washing cars um straight out of uni and then uh, we went into kind of car rental and stuff never had a problem with it there and the reason why is because everyone there was from a different country south africans french germans polish people from all over the world essentially doing an extremely manual menial task job that people think we don't need a degree for it Mm -hmm. so therefore it's around a level of education looking back on it now if you see if i if i look at the people who either saw a problem with it chances are traveled at some point and had at least been to other countries i also noticed something to do with the, the type of food that they like that's a big part of it that's interesting uh, that like, yeah really big tell i think is is what someone's diet is like um is probably pretty indicative of how accepting they are or how normalized they are to <laughs> so if they eat pie and chips then they, they're they not consistently really... eat pie and mash right <laughs> i guarantee you yes. i'll I'll put it out there, right? It's so true. <laughs> um, but yeah, well, this that came from like a, you know, because you spend a lot of time with people, especially people you work with, so you kind of get to know their habits. And yeah, people who would pretty much do the same thing day out, day out, day in, day out. It didn't matter if they were educated or not. Um, Matthew Saeed talks about this in his book, Rebel Ideas, how we kind of view diversity in the wrong way. You could have um, 150 white people working for one company with such diverse backgrounds and such diverse ideas that actually it, they could, it doesn't matter about the color of their skin. And similarly, if you hire a load of multicultural people, but they've all come from Harvard, you won't have diverse ideas. Yeah. It's not the level of education. There's so many other varying factors into what brings diverse ideas to the table. And, so I think um, the thing yeah. here is it seems that it's to do with how open-minded people are so if they're not even open-minded to eat a curry or you know they're just sticking with sunday dinner and and pie and mash they're not open-minded in even changing their diet so why are they going to be open-minded in changing their company Um, and i guess that comes from a level of threat do they feel so that they have to keep their view of the world so tightly Mm -hmm. so tightly controlled that if they even think about letting something else in that's different they're so out of control so they just don't do it so you pretty much hit the nail on the head and this goes for even we're looking at the scale that this is happening at now and has been happening for the last i don't know 60 years of of modern history the people who insist that nothing is wrong and that everything can stay the same are essentially terrified of change change yeah and they basically have that same level of fear over death as crazy as it sounds there's been a lot of neurological studies and they worry about change in the same way that they would worry about dying. Yeah. As far as they're concerned, if they change, that all that existence, previous existence of their life and their history yeah. disappears. And I guess they've just built their whole lives on 100%. their views, on their meals, on their company. And they're yep. so scared of that coming, falling down that they'll hold on to it to the death, to the detriment yeah. of other human beings yep. rather than think, actually you know there there is change there is other things to consider yeah and it's interesting again since starting a business it's you have to when you start a business and when you run a business and you'll know this as well as anyone and anyone listening to this will probably know this you have to find creative ways to cooperate with a lot of different people a lot of different people yeah because as brilliant as i might think i am 
I don't know how to code. I don't know how to design, you know, hell, I don't really even know how to market. So we have a ton of different people helping us out. I almost don't care what their background is as, as long as they help me out with the job. I think you've got a couple of different ways of, of combating that. For some people, they don't have to cooperate with other people. They don't have to, they don't need to, they're fine being insular by themselves. They've got no need to cooperate with anyone who either isn't themselves or in a very immediate, small, tight circle. So that's one part of the problem. And the second part of the problem is assuming that everyone else who you don't know is your enemy or is out to get you. Yeah. If you come from the the, the, the standpoint or the mindset that people are out there, actually, most people are pretty good. They're comrades, I guess would be a, a term is they want to help you out. Yeah, they're on your side. You know, they're it changes on your, your side behavior ultimately. If you believe people, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you 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 think, well, I'll, I'll learn how to cooperate with people in order to contribute to the the whole in a larger fashion, mm. rather than being insular and thinking about myself. So it's like threat and fear, isn't it? That they're yeah. just so threatened and so fearful. Do you think there's a bit of power that comes into this? Because um, probably a little bit of a contentious issue um and immediately white men come into mind such as the donald trumps of this world the very narcissistic personalities and taking race out of it really that kind of powerful narcissistic personality especially when they're in leadership positions so this could be in countries such as america or corporations small businesses running schools and you mentioned yep. earlier about the scale that this is happening on yeah if we can have america run by a person like this <laughs> and the scale that that is happening on the world stage it's no wonder that the more subtle um gray areas of racism are just going mm. unnoticed and i spoke to a lady mm. yesterday and she made a brilliant point and she said the extremes of racism are normalized like a man being killed in prison is so normal that we don't hear about it. Mm. It's no wonder that the more subtle racist tones are getting really just forgotten about or not even noticed. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's interesting. You actually bring up the point about power at the highest level, not really having anything to do with race because whether we like to admit it or not, narcissism exists and, and sociopathy and, and psychopathic traits exists through all kind of races and cultures. It doesn't matter about that. It's certainly difficult. So it's certainly difficult to immediately distinguish people with power and people without power. I think one of the driving causes behind a lot of this is that what people really want is accountability. Mm. Just as your uh, guest mentioned there, it seems like the extremes on one side or the other seem to be kind of normalized. And she's right. The, 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 the reality is, statistically, people are treated differently depending on their their, um, their their color, creed, background, race, ethnicity. And it seems like it's one rule for one group of people and another rule for another group of people. Yeah. It, again, it's, it's almost not to do with necessarily race. It's to do with we'd like the same level of accountability between both. <laughs> The reality is, and this is why seeing people as, seeing everyone as on your side is extremely important. It's not easy. It's very difficult. It's really difficult, especially when people appear to be so directly opposed to you. But there are as many white people, mixed race people and black people and Asian people and Hispanic people on one side of the table who are against this as there are 
black people, white people, mixed race people, Hispanic people, Asian people on the other side of the table, which sounds insane, but it is. Mm. That, that, that's, that's the reality. If we look at countries, uh, my mum would never go back to Kenya now, certainly not Tanzania, because they're so corrupt now. It's, it's completely different. She could walk down as a little white girl with her brothers to the beach. There's no way in the world they'd be able to do that anymore. Mm. You look at countries like Somalia, which are corrupt to the core and they're working so hard even south africa which yeah. what 20 years ago was this paradigm of of what new multicultural against an apartheid and, and nelson mandela becomes free but now it's corrupt it's corrupt to its core it's not necessarily exclusive to one country it's to do with how power is balanced across um a, a population and the, the level of resources that a smaller group of people, I would argue the minority, if you want to eliminate ethnicity and race out of it, it's to do with the, the minority of people with power and, <laughs> and those without power. Um, so it's it's difficult. And I can't in good conscience blame white people. And this again is, you can't, especially can't blame white men exclusively. And, and personally, I think that's a, a, uh, a pretty, it's the equivalent of me as a teenager thinking, I want to go out looking for a fight. Yeah. I'm going to look for any excuse. I'm going to look for any reason that someone's going to offend me, look at me funny, call me a, call me a bad name or whatever. And it's a bit like the law of attraction, you know, it's if you if you if you really look for it and if you really want it, sure as hell someone's going to call you a, you know, a racist slur or something. I don't think the answer is really fighting anybody. We can look at the Donald Trumps of this world and we can look at the corrupt people and blame them, but actually blame and hate is what got here us here in the first place so sure. actually i think we need to take a new approach and say yeah. you know what these are really damaged people they are in hugely powerful positions actually yeah. we need to take away that power however that be and that can be from not voting for donald trump all the mm. way down to people buying you brown dolls and you actually saying actually this is not okay you know you, it can happen on happen on your level of um, life in terms of you know friends or mm. colleagues or you know more of a democracy but I think yeah. it's about education still it still comes 100%. down to education and the amount of people that don't see narcissistic traits that don't see sexist comments that don't yeah. see racist yeah. comments I think it should be taught in schools personally um, I yeah. really think all because abuse of any type has very specific red flags behaviors it's not different for everybody anybody that has any type of prejudice or abusive behaviors it, it's mm. textbook you can pretty much tick them off a list like a mm. narcissist you can tick their behaviors off a list yeah. a racist person you can tick the behaviors off a list this should be really taught in schools and we should be taught to understand this at an earlier age i think and to, to actually say no it, uh, i'm assuming it takes a lot for certain people to say no if like you said, we all want to be included. So do people side with the people mm. like you who are being bullied? No, generally they go and side with the group because they want to be included. Um, yeah. And again, it's education, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, it's probably flipped a little bit now. In fact, well, my, um, so my sisters-in-laws are, are teachers. My mom was a teacher. And they said that still um, homophobia is a still real big problem in schools. Yeah. Like to be gay or, you know, to be a fag or whatever is, is massively um, offensive and prejudiced at school still. And I was like, it was, but it was like that back in my day. I kind of would have thought that like, who cares? Cause now as ad grown adults, the majority of us go, who the fuck cares? Yeah, no, no, one, no. no one cares. Right. But 
again, you know, the education part, absolutely, because you open up, you know, the goal that that's not a threat. That different thing is not a threat. If anything, it could be massively beneficial to you. And a lot of people can't see that and holding on to that. So I, it's interesting to know whether it has changed or how much it's changed. Um, and sexism is, is like, it still staggers me today. When I hear stories <laughs> me too. My wife comes back from, from wherever she works and like my, my sisters-in-laws and my mums. I'm like, it's 2020, man. You can't, why would you say that? Like yeah. what? <laughs> and again, you have to, the immediate question is what's their goal? And I guarantee you the guy who really struggles getting an erection at night is going to put that power play on somebody else. He has to exert that power over somebody else. Just like the same person who screams at the cashier. We had it the other day at home base, this woman going crazy at this cashier because she couldn't pay by cash or whatever. I was like, she's got something else in her life. She's using this as an opportunity to exert control over somebody else. Um, But we, you know, it gets into crazy levels, like you say, with with completely needless murder and and, and rape and and torture. That's that's a that's a that's a fucking huge problem, and I think it has to start with with us as as the people rather than people. I think, it, it, I um, pre- think prejudice it, it comes you know everywhere sexism um even with harvey weinstein it was even you know (laughs) these women were not believed i mean (laughs) there were 100 women that don't know each other come forward with the same story and they still had to battle to get things the the right thing done um so it happens and that's accountability yeah Yeah. happens with race i think we're just so stuck in these powerful people can't be wrong um and it filters down through everybody yeah um, I am a firm believer that things are getting better. I believe Categoric- so. I, I believe things are getting better. I think these levels of accountability are, are becoming more clear to people and people slowly, slowly, you know, it's, it's, I think, I think it's Hans Rosling in his book, Factfulness. He says things are bad, but they are getting better and they yeah. always are getting better. And you I know, just believe um, education and talking about it. Yeah. Is, 100%. Yeah. Because I, I come at this from a white person. I had a very white upbringing. I was brought up in a tiny village. We didn't have any different cultures. I think in my whole high school, I had one black girl and one Indian guy boy and yep. so i have i've never been brought up to be prejudiced against others it just isn't something that has ever entered my life but what i know on the flip side of that is that i am not educated on how this is affecting people i was in my little bubble of obviously i know racism exists obviously i know about the prison system in america and how it's skewed mm. Obviously, I know these things go on in the world. I'm not living in a bubble. Mm. But for my personal life, I didn't have any personal stories to be able to think, actually, this is something we need to change on our level. This is something that we need to deal with. And that's why I wanted to do this and hear your stories, Mm. because there must be so many other people like me that don't see themselves as racist, but actually don't see themselves as really doing anything to learn or do anything to change it. You know, it's, it's a really interesting question because... The bubble, as you as you put it, it exists everywhere. I can assure you that if you went to central provinces in China who have never seen a white person before, yeah. still exist, 1.6 billion people, I guarantee people will be swarming around you. I personally know of a friend who worked at a restaurant who's just a regular guy, uh, and they would make 
really racial slurs towards him and make fun of his accent and make fun of the way that he talked as a, as a white English person. Some, and, you know, being mixed race has been giving me a really interesting perspective because the Maori side, majority of us, of our, certainly of our family, just wanted to work and do work and, you know, go to university and college and have kids and all this kind of stuff. But there's still a big sect of it, which is really hardcore anti-Pakia, which is non-Islander, right? That's a slur. That's a, that's a Maori slur, particularly towards white people. You can't have your cake and eat it. You can't be against the criminal institutions or patriarchy or whatever and still wear Adidas trainers. You can't do it. Mm-hmm. You have to accept that probably there's been an enormous amount which you're able to take. Which remember, if we want to see people on our side, the majority of people who are on our side, we go, great, I've had some amazing things. Lucky to have this kind of stuff. It's not a white thing. And in a funny way, I think kind of the white culture almost needs to understand it's not about blame it's not about guilt or anything like that it's prevalent everywhere and perhaps we all should be thinking about because i can a hundred percent guarantee you there are people who are asian and maori and aborigine and black who are just as racist towards other cultures it now the the, the gap obviously happens like you went when you mentioned at the prison level 100%. That appears to certainly be a black issue, without a doubt. The, the rape culture in um, the Middle East and in India, it has changed now recently with, with high court rulings and, and men being um, put in prison and even executed uh, for those crimes. It is beginning to shift, but it's a global problem. It's yeah. Not a, it's not a so actually, problem. it's yeah. So it isn't about white versus black. It's about no. people versus people on yeah. on whatever level that is. Man versus woman, black versus white, um, police versus black men. Um, it, it's this versus part that it yeah. is the part that needs to change. Yeah, and again, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, we, we've got a we've got a really colourful background in my. Uh, family and for a big time it was like oh it's the police versus us and as I've grown up I've actually found out it's not that at all it's not that at all I'm, I'm we're comfortably we're, we're super happy with a lot of the work that the police do of course we are it's it's there's certainly 100% there are even entire cities apparently you know that do have a severe prejudice in America attitudes against black people without a doubt clearly clearly right the way that that is solved though is not by painting with a broader brush and saying oh all police are corrupt no all all politicians are corrupt it doesn't it doesn't work like that and 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 i think this is the negative part of globalization is that we are so global in everything that we do um we can we can have our administration done from somebody in the philippines within 10 minutes but then when you do you do need to break it down a little bit. This globalization doesn't work for everything. Our police force isn't the same as the American police force. The Minnesota police force is not the same as another state's police force. And actually, I think we need to tackle, well, it needs to be tackled at a more local level, depending on the prejudices that are in that community, um, which is why it's such a complex issue. Yeah, it is. And, you know, (laughs) it's like the fastest way to incite you know, a family falling out over the dinner table is to bring up something like this because politics, race, politics, uh, race, yeah. anything like that. You know, and, and but but actually, I think it's 
it's like money. We should be more open talking about it. Mm. I never understood the rule where you couldn't discuss salary at work, for example. Yeah. I never yeah. got that. I do now because I'm like, well, actually, I don't want person A to know that person B is earning two grand a year more than them. Mm. So clearly, actually, no, those people should be talking about salary. That should be more open. And we're lucky now that we can have these conversations. You and I are what? couple of hundred miles apart but we can have this conversation with people who are thousands of miles away and have an open dialogue and again presuming that we know that most people are on the same side as the table most people want what's best for, for everybody else most people are our friends even if they've got completely different backgrounds completely yeah. different goals um, but seeing it as something to go up against and thinking i'm looking for a fight i'm spoiling yeah. for a fight yeah. that's going into the argument with the wrong attitude and that's not gonna uh that's not going to fix anything have a positive outcome no how do you think your background has kind of fed into the business that you run now what kind of experiences do you think have have brought you to this point because you say the struggle is all part of the process how do you Mm. think that's worked for you yeah so that's a good question so first of all i categorically do not believe that there is anyone more or less capable than anybody else we have single parents we have people who are fresh out of university we've got people who have been running a business for 20 years we've got people who have just started their business i can see no discernible differences between the quality of work people put out their attitude how they want to help the world and make it a better place so immediately i you could see i don't have there's absolutely no discernible reason why one person wouldn't be able to do as well as somebody else i'm a huge believer it's got nothing to do with what you're born with. It's entirely to do with what you make use of. And we've got guys, my email guy, Toby, he's based in Nigeria. Uh, he does outstanding work, really solid, really polite, really on time, does great work. I've worked with people who are down the road from me from well-educated backgrounds who are lazy and have, <laughs> I've had to fire them really, really quickly. Evidently, it's got nothing to do with your background, your level of education. Um, it's all to do with what you want to make use Attitude. of those tools. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. And recently, we've started hiring people more based on what their values are, the kind of advice that they would give, as opposed to their. Because I'm like, well, we can teach. Hire for like, attitude, train the skill. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I haven't yeah. heard that. That's good. That's exactly yeah, yeah, So absolutely. what part of our business, so once we've helped businesses grow online, we help them grow offline by building high performing teams. And I always yeah. say, hire the attitude, train the skill. The skill can be taught Perfect. in weeks, if not, yeah, if not a couple of yeah. days, if they've got the right attitude. Um, yeah. So yeah, it makes such a difference. And That's also cool. um, trains in psychometrics. And what you said is absolutely right in that, everybody has strengths and weaknesses so i think what it's about in building a team or communicating properly with people is seeing what your strengths are and finding someone that has strengths in your weak areas and then you bring the two together and that's how you kind of you kind of work together and it's amazing to me that through all of the experiences and the prejudices that you had when you were younger like you said you could have easily carried on being really angry at the world um but actually you've recognized that confidence is a big issue you've recognized that people are friends not foes and actually having that attitude of i hate everyone i need to fight them before they fight me doesn't really get you anywhere it leaves you stuck in that in that place and um yeah and it becomes a bit of a like self-fulfilling cycle because if everyone's against you and you're actively looking for everyone to be against you wouldn't you know all the evidence points (laughs) towards people being against you yeah Um, and really quickly when i learned to 
we can cooperate with people and you can get way more done you have way more fun things are less stressful you know um i think something that i'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this particularly running a digital company i have to block out a fucking huge amount of the noise and the bullshit um like I have a, an app that blocks Facebook feeds, um, even though we run a lot of groups and ads on that, um, because there's an enormous amount of attention yeah. draining material 24/7. out there. 24-7. Uh, yeah, so that's that's difficult to deal with um, online. But yeah, it's, it's, it's funny, man, because even now we still have to occasionally in a, in a lot of the groups that I'm in still have to put out notices to people saying you can't talk like that. Oh my and in God. a funny way, in a funny way you get to say, actually this group isn't a democracy because you're treat, talking like that. We'll just boot you out. Yeah. And you know, rightly or wrongly, however you want to kind of talk about that. But the, um, it is, it is a little bit echo chambery. You know, mm. certainly in, in some circles and that, and that can be very difficult to deal with um, but it's it's you can't control what other people do or feel or say you can only look at what you can do uh, yeah and absolutely you're right I think it needs to be a no um, just you will not tolerate it yeah. um, and, and it's got yeah. to go I, going back to the sexism thing I yeah. get a lot of men uh, messaging me on social media and it is something that really holds me back because I hate putting videos out I never, I always cover my chest. I have tops mm. up to my neck. I never wear bright makeup. I do a lot of things to not encourage men. However, I still get a lot of messages. And just the other day, I had a man completely out of the blue say all of the things that he wanted to do to me. And I've really got to the point now where I'm like, I've had enough. Like I should be able to do my job without the fear of, of this predatory behavior. And I've got to the point now where I just block and, and report them. Um, yeah. But it happened, I think, with the internet as well, it gets everybody's in touch with you. Everybody can see you. And this whole noise of very lonely people, um, very... Uh, people that don't have high emotional intelligence, don't have empathy, yeah. quite narcissistic, they're available to us 24 seven. And um, yeah, I think things need to change on so many levels. Um, this is, and this is, uh, so a friend of mine, she runs a huge mum blog, right? Like best-selling author. I don't want to say who it is because she might not want to be telling this story, but she, she huge like multiple best-selling books all this kind of stuff right she gets messages from dudes on instagram all the time and she shows them to me and i'm like what the fuck is going through that dude's head because mm. i'd be like screenshot share like i i, I don't I, it's fascinating to me but you have to continuously look at what's the goal what is their goal why are they doing that and if you realize that the level of control they're trying to exert over you is entirely up to you. It's entirely up to you how much you give them. Undoubtedly, it's, it's you know, they have a, a desperate need to exert control over other people, apparently, predictably, women a lot of the time. But even if you were to do everything perfect, and I, I was talking about this yesterday, actually, on because I do a lot of YouTube content, and some of the comments that I get, YouTube's pretty bad at the best time. Some of the comments that I get, I'm like, you don't need to wish for my death, man. Like, come on. Like, what? You actually get people saying that? All the time. All the time. I get emails through because I've got a couple of videos on like, here's why I think capitalism can save the world and stuff like this. I get, I get 
all the time, right? This kind of stuff. If someone is so desperately lonely and uh, has such low confidence within themselves and believes that they are not worth loving, they know that that's not appropriate behavior. So mm. just like a child, when they say, I know this isn't appropriate behavior, but I'm still going to do it anyway. It's attention seeking. It's because they can't love themselves. They think, well, I'm going to make sure that no one loves me in a bizarre sort of way. That's yeah. actually what self-fulfilling prophecy again. 100%. So it's very, it's very easy to do that. So, when you look at the types of, you think, well, what's their goal? And you remove it away from yourself, immediately it kind of loses its power because you're kind of like, well, this person's just super, super lonely. And even if I did the world's most perfect YouTube video, we've got YouTube videos with tens of thousands of views, I'd still get negative comments. Mm. I'd still get criticism. If you were to produce content where you are as conservative as you could be and more covered up than ever and you didn't say anything offensive i guarantee you'd still attract negative attention from either side from from wherever and unfortunately that's part of the course and there's nothing we can do about that nature of people yeah and but i i constantly remind myself what's their goal and what can i do about it can't do anything about their goal but i sure as hell can decide how i feel about that so it is a problem but i think you've got a lot to share and i don't think you should let some fuckwit decide (laughs) it's crazy isn't it but it comes back to exactly the same point you know the level of education whether it's women black people white people pink people it there's always going to be somebody and that doesn't come from the external it's just the internal isn't it um thank you so much mike for coming on if anybody wants to get in touch with you what is the best way if they want to learn more about what you do yeah, youtube.com forward slash sell your service is a pretty easy place to start or michael at sellyourservice.co.uk is my email address and sellyourservice.co.uk is the uh, is the website as well. So yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. It's Thank been incredible to, um, to hear your story. And um, I'm just so, yeah, I want to say I'm so sorry for what you've been through, but actually it's turned you into such, yeah, you, you've really made decisions to, to come out of it the other side and perfect for Struggle to Success podcast, I guess. <laughs> Good, I'm glad. Thank you very much for having me on. And it's nice to talk about something other than marketing for a change, frankly. Oh, so. I know, I know, I know. It's <laughs> about real life. Thanks, yeah. Mike. You're very welcome. Thank you, Sonia.